This morning, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Ephesians 6, 1. And I'm entitling these next two weeks uh, a title that actually I have stolen from a book that we have outside. It's called Parenting is Heart Work. Parenting is Heart Work. And we have about 15 of those out there that you can make a donation for $10 a piece or whatever you need to, to donate. And uh, that, that doesn't even cover our cost because we had to order these. So uh, somebody asked me one time, how much do you make on books? We, we make nothing. We go in the hole on everything we sell you, okay? So just wanted to let you know we are totally a non-profit. We are a lose-profit uh, company here at, at... And so anytime you get something, it will always be either right at or under cost. So if you uh, are interested, you're welcome to do that. There's also another book uh, by Kevin Lehman called Making Your Children Mine Without Losing Yours uh, by Kevin Lehman. And these people have no idea that we are promoting their books today, okay? Uh, you can pick those that one up in any bookstore, Borders, uh, any Christian bookstore. That one's everywhere. Uh, but uh, our title for the next two weeks will be Parenting is Heart Work. Now, let me say this. As we talk about the family this morning, I just want you to know that as I speak about the family if you are here this morning, and even if you're single, you are probably a part of a family, okay? If you are here this morning and you are a single parent, you are definitely a family. If you're here this morning and you're grandparents, I believe there's still principles of which you can glean. And I, if you're here and you simply choose to help at any point in your life with children, I believe there are biblical principles and principles of practice that we can glean this morning as we look at parenting as heart work. Now, as we look at our Bibles here in just a moment, I also want to kind of just share with you something that I read about parenting. If it was an ad in the paper, what would it look like? And I think it would probably look something like this. Job description for parenting. Long-term team players needed for challenging, uh, permanent an often chaotic job. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills and must be willing to work, ver work variable hours, which will include evenings, weekends, and frequent 24-hour shifts. The responsibilities are this. Must provide on-site training in basic life skills in negotiating conflict resolution crisis management. Must be able to think outside the box but not lose track of the box because you most likely will need it for a school project. <laughs> Must be able to drive motor vehicles safely under adverse conditions while simultaneously practicing the above-mentioned skills in conflict resolution. <clears throat> Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all age and mental outlooks. Must be willing to be indispensable one minute and embarrassing the next. Must always hope for the best and be prepared for the worst. Possibility for advancement and promotion. Virtually none. Your job is to remain at the same position without complaining Constantly retraining and updating your skills so that in your charge you can, so those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience not required. 
but on-the-job training offered on a continual and exhausting basis. Wages and compensation, you pay them. (laughs) Offering them frequent bonuses and pay raises. And when you die, you give whatever is left. The oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you actually enjoy it and wish you could do more. Benefits, while no paid holidays or stock options are offered, the job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and the ability to impact future generations. Let's look at what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, divinely inspired words that still ring true in practice for us today. Chapter 6, verse 1 of the book of Ephesians says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. The first part of that passage tells us this. It says, children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. The truth of it is, is that there are two laws that are generally recognized in the world today. The first one is that of natural law. And a natural law is this. It's something that most of mankind and something that we can ascertain as we look at the world that we live in that simply makes sense. It's just a natural law. For example, for our species or any species to continue, there must be reproduction. Reproduction must occur. That is a natural law. Uh, For this species to uh, improve, or excuse me, to increase and to continue to exist, reproduction is just a necessary law that must occur. So is true, though, in divine law. Divine law is different in this. If you take that word or that thought process of reproduction, while that is a natural law, what a divine law would be would be the institution of marriage. Marriage is a divine law. It's not natural in the sense that you would just naturally do it, with one, have one man and one woman. It's not natural in the sense that you would enter in a covenant relationship. It is one that is divine because it is ordained by God, and marriage is defined as given in the book of Genesis. So that is the divine law, the institution of marriage. Reproduction is simply a natural law. As we continue in this passage, we see obedience is pretty much a natural law as well as a divine law. Most societies would agree that there has to be uh, an authority for children, and parents have been designated as that authority. And children should obey their parents. But then Paul switches over to a divine law. In verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor. That word means to respect. Now, when we obey, that is 
contingent upon us actually being at the house and being of an age where we're still supported by our parents. Today, if you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old, you are not commanded to obey your parents that are 70 or 80 or 90 years old. Sometimes they may make requests that are not real healthy of you. And so you now have become adult. But we are always divinely commanded to honor our parents regardless of their age. Honoring our parents. Paul certainly takes this from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That actually is a, if you want to ever have a prosperity verse, that's one right there. Uh, that was a verse of prosperity that was promised to the children of Israel as they go into the land of Canaan. You should and you are to honor your father and your mother. Right there at the beginning, we see in verse 1 that children are to obey the parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is righteousness. This is God's desire. This is not just a natural law. This is divine law. And then He gives a divine promise that goes with it. Now, up to this point, you know, as parents, we're all going, Amen. My kids need to hear this. I think I'll buy them a tape and let them listen. But just hold on. Uh, it'll get harder for us as we move on here. Because the Bible tells us in verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, there actually is some debate over the Greek word that's used here and the way that it's implied. And many scholars would say uh, this should be rendered as parents. Parents, do not frustrate or anger or exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. As we look at this, I think it's important that we see that this is not simply a New Testament principle. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, in chapter 19, verse 18, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope, do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 29:17. Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. That word discipline is not simply one of punishment. Matter of fact, a better definition would be one to correct, to train, to guide. Sometimes when we think of the word discipline, when we think of instruction, we only think of the negative. But certainly we see through the life of Christ, through His love for children, Certainly we see in the teachings of Paul the importance of loving and training our children as seen in chapter 6, verse 4. Now that first aspect, it tells us not to exasperate our children, not to frustrate them. Well, how do we exasperate our children? How do we frustrate them? Well, I'm actually pretty good at it sometimes. I actually kind of have a gift, and I come by it honestly. And let me just say this again. I am not a parenting expert, nor am I the son of a parenting expert, okay? I am a fellow struggler, and that's why I read books, and that's why I try to listen to my wife, okay? So as we read this, I, I want to share with you some of my pains and some of my mistakes, not that I made a long time ago, but that I make very recently. You know, I, I'm one of these guys that I'm reading and I'm studying for this sermon a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thinking, 
I've got to start doing this parenting thing right. You know, I'm thinking, I've got to start applying all these principles. I have that in my head, and I'm reading, and I'm getting ready to teach, and I still make mistakes. Okay, so if you're sitting there and go, man, I just feel like the biggest loser parent, come on over and we'll hug. All right? So I completely understand that. And let me say this. There are lots of different philosophies. I believe there are divine principles that we have to abide by. And we have to recognize. But there are philosophies and there's methods that maybe you will use that are effective and God bless you. But if you're like me, you're always looking for a little bit better method. You recognize that yours has a lot of deficiencies in it. And so to this morning, I want us to glean and recognize some things together. I speak to you not as an authority, but as a fellow student. So how do we exasperate? How do we frustrate our child? Well, one way we do that is when we're unreasonable. When we spank and we don't have any understanding or any preconceived idea of how we're going to discipline. When we just yell out or when we just, on the spur of the moment, take action. And sometimes it's unreasonable. Sometimes we don't have a stopping point when we don't have a understood expectation of what is proper or what is acceptable acceptable, and what is not. When we find ourselves in the fault-finding mentality, the fault-finding mentality, when we start to only instruct our children and correct our children on what they're doing wrong and we fail to recognize what they're doing right and who they are. You know, Martin Luther once said, that spare the rod, spoil the child. That is true. But when your child has done well, give him an apple. I think that's a good word. Sometimes we forget to give apples and we find ourselves only giving correction. Number three, inconsistency. When we're not consistent with the way we handle things. When we find ourselves at one moment blowing up over something and later on we don't even recognize or acknowledge it's happening. Children start to wonder what's important. Is it simply based on which football game you're watching? That's a personal testimony. <laughs> Non-discipline. When we choose to just not deal with it. When it's a significant issue and we just skirt over it because it's going to take effort, because it's hard, because we hope that our spouse will come in in a few moments and deal with it themselves. That frustrates our children. That exasperates children. Overprotection, when we smother our child. And you may say, I, how do I know if I'm smothering my child? Here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to ask three other parents uh, that you respect. I'm not just talking about three parents on the road. But three parents you think, now these are good, healthy parents. Ask them if they do that with their child. And if they don't do it, you may be smothering your child. There's a good chance that you are. Again, I'm letting you pick the parents. And don't just pick one that you know. Oh, I know they do this. Ask parents. Ask others. That is a good way for us to learn sometimes what other people that we respect, how they are handling certain situations. Favoritism. When we start to compare one child to another. Well, you know, we really don't have this problem with your brother. Well, your sister never did this. That's a form of favoritism. And children hear that. And it exasperates them. And then selfishness. When we only discipline because it's convenient for us. Because it makes things easier for us. 
Now let's talk about in chapter in verse four here. It says, "Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord." Bringing them up in training and instruction. What does training and instruction look like? Well, let me give you six ways that uh, this is not what it should look like. And we're all familiar with these, and I personally have practiced almost all six of these. But six things that we probably don't want to do with our children when we're trying to instruct them. Number one is beg. When we beg our child to please clean up, would you please clean up your room? Would you please quit this? And we start into that begging mentality. Well, does that, is that really what we want to be? I mean, at that point, I start to wonder, who's the child, who's the parent here? So begging is probably not our best foot forward. Threatening. Here's one that I've used before. Threatening. Look, if you do that again, I'm going to knock your head off. If you do that one more time, I'm going to put you in the room for the rest of the week and you're not going to come out. If you don't eat this, you're never getting anything else to eat again in this house. When we go into that threatening and the child's just going, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, my dad just says weird things like that sometimes. And they learn not to take us seriously. Guilt. Well... You know, your sister was always really good about this. And, you know, I work my fingers to the bone. I work day and night to try to provide you with a good life. You know, when I was growing up, I had to walk up a hill to school. I had to walk with no shoes, no clothes, and the snow. It was bad. And all I'm trying to do is provide you with a better life. The old guilt word. And all they do is make fun of you to their friends behind your back when you do that. The art of persuasion. Where you don't tell your child what you really want to do, but you kind of try to trick them. Try to fool them into it. Try to get them to do something you want them to do. And that's not always bad until they start to figure out what you're really doing. The art of persuasion. Or how about the role model? We've tried this before. You know, Brock... You want to eat this cereal because it will make you like Michael Jordan. To which he goes, who's Michael Jordan? Or how's this? I, this will make you like Spider-Man. It will like like, make you like Superman. Or it will, and finally we just had a resort. How about Barney? All right, I'm just kind of going down the list of what this will possibly make me like. Or the last one, the, what I call the pragmatic bribe. Look, we're going to go into this restaurant or we're going to go to these people's house. And if you will be really good at the end of this time, I'll give you $20. <laughs> well, what are some healthy ways that we can train and discipline our children? Well, one, focusing in on teaching instead of justice. Focus on teaching instead of justice. When you have a disciplined encounter with your child, what is your objective? To get them to just be quiet for the moment? Or what do you want them to learn? What do you want them to glean in character from that moment? Focus in on teaching. What is the lesson that I want them to learn? Number two, use sorrow instead of anger. Here's another one that I struggle with. You know, sometimes we discipline with our anger. Just with them being angry, them hearing how angry we are. Instead of them hearing our sorrow that, you know what, this, this kind of hurts. This is kind of difficult when you respond in this way. And I know this is not how you want Daddy to feel. or I know this is not how you want God to be honored. But I want you to hear that um, 
it hurts it hurts me and I hurt for you uh, when you respond and when you act in this manner and let them hear your sorrow as opposed to your anger. Number three, prepare discipline times by planning the consequences. What are going to be the consequences if you respond in this manner? If these actions happen, this is what occurs. And, and that helps. Then I realize you can't come up with everything. Uh, but we, I found it for me that when I have already specified some ramifications, that it makes life go a whole lot better when I simply follow through with those and we both understand there's a consequence for this decision. Then last, talk about character, not just behavior. I thought it was great. Dr. Waldrop, who was here Wednesday night, and by the way, I really encourage you to be here this Wednesday night on uh, Raising Gender Healthy Children. Ricky Shillette has become an authority in this issue, and uh, I just really encourage you, uh, if you have children, particularly from uh, 16 and under, uh, this is, or 15 and under for sure, uh, this is a talk you're going to want to hear Wednesday night at 7 p.m. But what are some ways and what are some thoughts that I can have about revealing character, not behavior? Dr. Waldrop spoke about this last week, about the importance of telling your child that they're good, even when they're misbehaving. I, I don't approve of your behavior. I don't approve of your act, actions, but I know you're a good boy. I know you're a good girl. Affirming their character and dealing with the action. As we continue, as we look at other methods, we see in this passage here that Paul is speaking. He says, train them in the, inst- in the instruction of the Lord. Communication and instruction. What about communication? As I was reading this book, Parenting is Heart Work, he talked about different levels of communication. And he made this quote. He said, greetings are the oil that keep the relationships with your child positive. Greetings. He goes, here's an easy one right here that will help you. Don't forget to greet your child positively each morning and when they come in. You know, particularly when your children are young, as you go and you wake them up and you give them a hug and you tell them you love them when they come home, when you see them and you're out and you go to pick them up. And, and let me just say this. It should never be that you're the one that stops that process. There'll come a day where your son or your daughter will stop it. They'll teenager and they'll go, Mom, Dad, cut that out, please. Or they just won't even come to you, okay? They'll come at that point, but you don't come to that place to where you go, well, I think they're old enough. I think this may be embarrassing. You let them tell you that. You let them tell you it's time to stop the kissing business. You tell them it's the time to stop giving me a big hug every time you see me. And even if they tell you it's time to stop telling them you love them, you just don't listen to them on that part. But you don't determine, and don't you stop telling them that you love them, greeting them positively. That's an easy one that we can do, particularly when our children are younger. Number two, talking about the facts of your day, sharing with them the facts of your day. And I'm, I, here's one that I suffer with and I struggle with. And, you know, it, it's harder for young children when you try to tell them, Things have happened with you and things are going on. I, I learned a good lesson the other day. I'd taken my son to the bounce house. And uh, we, were on, we were coming back from the bounce house. And he goes, Daddy, what was your favorite part of the bounce house? And I said, uh, well, just playing with you, Brock. That was my favorite part. And we drove a few minutes. And he goes, Daddy, now ask me what was my favorite part of playing at the bounce house. I was thinking, where did you learn that? I didn't teach you that. And thankfully, he has a good mother. So... The importance of talking about the facts and talking about their emotions and opinions. 
When they tell you stories, when they give you opinions, when they tell you about the facts, what's the underlying message? Ask them sometimes, how does that make you feel? I, I can tell that that really bothers you. That must have really hurt your feelings. Or I can tell you're really excited about this. And then fourth, spiritual connection. You know, one of the best ways that we can spiritually connect with our child is to learn the Word of God ourselves. To study to show ourselves as approved workmen that need not be ashamed. And it's one of the reasons that we have constantly Bible studies going on. And I realize right now our co-ed Bible study is not, reali- not meeting because we've outgrown it. And in just a few weeks we ought to have our building open. We're doing that again. But we still are offering a men's and a women's studies and then weekday studies during the week. Learn the Word of God. Number two, teach your children the importance of worship in church. I was reading an article this week from Earned Media, and uh, they kind of gave three different perspectives and three different statistics. But the bottom line was this, that 80% of the people who are actively involved in church today had parents who were actively involved. And then they gave a, a statistic in the 90s of parents who were not involved then over 90% of those kids are not involved in church or have a a spiritual relationship with God today. It was interesting that what we do is the primary influencer on our children, particularly when it comes to the Spirit, particularly when it comes to matters of faith. We are the primary influencers in our children's lives. And then lastly, we have these uh, in the back that you can pick up if you'd like to pick one up, but I'm going to call it uh, the Daily Dozen. This is a parent checklist that I got a long time ago, and then I just scaled it down and, and picked out the 12 that I thought were best. And, and we're calling it the Daily Dozen uh, Checklist. First one, have you prayed? Did you pray with your child today? Did you pray with and for your child? I think it's so important for our children to hear us pray for them. Not just at our meal times, but either in the morning or in the evening, that they hear us by name pray for them and pray over them. Number two, give your child some type of responsibility. At the end of the day, have you given your child any responsibility, anything that they needed to do or anything that they could have assisted with? Number three, did you thank your child for the effort that he put in that day? Number four, have you read the Bible to him? And and let me tell you this, we're going to have some Bibles uh, out this Wednesday and next week. Well, kind of first come, first serve that we've ordered children's Bibles. A couple of them are Bibles that I use that I think are terrific. And uh, if you have children that are 10 and over, then you can probably get them an NIV or something of that nature. But if they're under that age, then they probably need more of a child's Bible. And we'll have some of those available that uh, you can uh, purchase or make a donation or if you, just, if you have to, just take one. Uh, but I want to encourage you the importance of just reading the Scripture, reading the stories to your child each day. Next, uh, not to punish your child while you're angry. Did I punish my child when I was angry today? A lot of times I have to check that box. Have I encouraged my child to help someone today? Number seven, as we continue with the daily dozen here, taught my child something today. Have you taught your child anything? Number eight, praise God with your child. Sing a song uh, about Jesus or let them hear you speak a word of praise. Give your full attention to your child for a few moments. Speak a word that is encouraging and pleasant instead of words that are simply critical. Hugged your child and told them that you loved them. And number 12, thank God for your child. 
I think as we begin to practice this, we can see an impact spiritually in our child. I want to conclude with this. And it's called The Father's Poem. I gave my child life, but I cannot live it for you. I can teach you things, but I cannot make you learn. I can give you directions, but I cannot always be there to lead you. I can allow you freedom, but I cannot account for it. I can take you to church, but I cannot make you believe. I can teach you right from wrong, but I can't always decide for you. I can buy you beautiful clothes, but I cannot make you lovely inside. I can offer you advice, but I cannot accept it for you. I can give you love, but I cannot force it upon you. I can teach you to be a friend, but I cannot make you one. I can teach you to share, but I cannot make you unselfish. I can teach you respect, but I cannot force you to show honor. I can grieve about your report card, but I cannot doubt your teachers. I can advise you about friends, but I cannot choose them for you. I can teach you about sex, but I cannot keep you pure. I can tell you about the facts of life, but I cannot build your reputation. I can tell you about drinking, but I cannot say no for you. I can warn you about drugs, but I cannot prevent you from using them. I can tell you about lofty goals, but I cannot make you achieve them. I can teach you about kindness, but I cannot force you to be gracious. I can warn you about sin, but I cannot make you have morals. I can love you as a daughter or son, but I cannot place you in the family of God. I can pray for you, but I cannot make you walk with God. I can teach you about Jesus, but I cannot make Him your Savior. I can teach you to obey, but I cannot make Jesus your Lord. I can tell you how to live, but I cannot give you eternal life. If you're like me, I want to encourage you that though you feel like maybe you fail sometimes, Maybe you're not the best or perfect parent. That at the end of the day, you want to do all that you can to give your child the advantage of knowing Christ and of pointing Him and directing Him toward the Father. You want to know the Word of God so that you can surround Him with the promises and the values and the divine law in which God has given us. And at the end of the day, you pray and you commit your child to the Father recognizing that He loves Him even more than you. This morning, let's take a moment to reflect and to pray for our children. Maybe you don't have a child yourself, but you have grandchildren, nieces or nephews. Maybe you work with children. Maybe you simply know a child. For just a moment, pray the blessing of God upon that child. Pray that He would come to know Jesus in a real and meaningful way.